Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. You about forgot it, I know. I want to look at the conclusion of chapter 10. He, he's warned them at the end of the chapter not to fall away from the living God and fall into his hands for judgment, for vengeance. Don't give up meeting with God's people. Don't go back. Uh, don't cave in to the pressure. And none of us probably can understand the pressure that were on these first century Hebrew Christians. What incredible amount of pressure. We get our feelings hurt if someone doesn't shake our hands. I mean, these people were suffering for the cause of Christ, and he's exhorting them. This is called a book of exhortation, and he calls it that. And listen to what he says at the end of chapter 10. We begin at verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sufferings always will test our faith. But guess what? Good times ruins more people than hard times. Uh, adversity has made more people strong. Like working out in the gym, it exercises the muscles of faith. And adversity has never killed true faith. Uh, sometimes you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes you were partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Oh, what an attitude. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, your boldness is the idea, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance or perseverance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. A prophetic utterance taken from the Old Testament, but now loaded with messianic meaning. A Christ is coming soon. Christ is, don't bail out. Don't give up. Don't go back. He's coming. He's coming. Don't, don't go back. That's what he's saying. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, withholds, withdraws, goes away, if he shrinks back, notice what happens. My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. So the shrinking back seems to be abandoning the faith, going back, no longer identify with the people of God, no longer continuing. If we shrink back, go back, God will find no pleasure in us. He says he will destroy us. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls, we are those who instead of going back, shrinking back, we're the people of faith. And this preserves their souls. The just shall live by faith. 
This was the battle cry of the Reformation. The just shall live by faith. The word just being my righteous ones. And we love this when it comes to the doctrine of justification. I believe Christ, faith being the instrument that brings him into my heart, is the instrument that gives me access to all the benefits of his death. And so it's the battle cry. We are people of faith. Believe. The, the Reformation had a phrase, sola scriptura, and sola fides, that faith alone in Christ alone saves. But it's not only saying it saves initially, but notice he says, my just ones or my righteous ones continue to live. Their lives are marked by a life, a perpetual life of trust, of relying on God. And he takes us right from Habakkuk 2.4, that the Chaldeans are getting ready to invade Israel, part of God's judgment upon them for their idolatry. And the prophet is staggering that God would use such a wicked people to spank in line his people. And in the midst of it, Habakkuk it gives this word that is used in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews. It goes this way. When destruction comes from the Chaldeans, only the one living by faith in me will save his life. And those not believing me are the apostate Israelites that have gone to idolatry, have abandoned the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you go back, you're going to be destroyed. I'm only going to preserve a people who are trusting me, relying on me. Isaiah 30, you're making an alliance with Egypt, and you think her horses and her chariots will save you. Let me say to you, Israel, in quietness and rest is your strength. And waiting on your God is your deliverance. No horse can get you out of the mess you're in. And so a great battle cry is raised. The righteous of God are the people who live by faith. I'm going to take you on a little journey. What is faith? Faith, if you went to it just as a word study, it means Faith, reliability, to rely upon. It was even used of obedience, and you'll see that in Hebrews 11. A faith that obeys. Faith made Abraham take Isaac. Faith made Noah build the ark. So it's not just faith. It's a faith. I take you at your word, and I obey it, and I carry it out. So sometimes faith is just obedience. Romans 1, 5, I've called you to the obedience of faith. And faith is not just a little gooey substance. It has real content. So let's ask ourselves, what is faith? Besides a little word study that we throw out there, let me give you some ideas. Soren Kierkegaard, great uh, philosopher, 
uh, wrote some things that are astounding. He's written a devotional book and some great uh, insights. Brilliant, brilliant Swiss man. And he uh, came along and studying the different views and Camus and these guys that were basically uh, sadistic, pessimistic, all of this. And these philosophers were always struggling that there seems to be two levels of existence. The world of, uh, what we say, they, Francis Schaeffer would say, the world below the line, where we live, eat, sleep, think, interact, that which is around us. And all the time, mankind is thinking, could I ever get to another level? Get up there. Is there something besides matter, physical? Is there an experience I could ever have that would get me above it all? Sorengard came along, and he invented the philosophy of existentialism that says uh, the past doesn't matter. We're not certain of the future. We only exist to experience this present moment and part of his philosophy was, you must take the leap of faith to get into an upper story existence or experience. Very mystical. Timothy Leary is famous for LSD, but there was more going on than a chemical product. It was a part of how do we get to the upper story as man? How do we get above the earthly experiences? The best we've done with earthly high is sex and booze, and then we come along with drugs. And when you take Timothy Leary in LSD, he was an existentialist who said, there's an upper story of experience if we can just get there. You can't explain it. It's not a destination. It's an experience. It's existential. You just, you, you just, I experienced it. Did, did you get that? No. Well, I have this experience. So, you get a Jimi Hendrix that can record all of his albums strung out on drugs, and this genius makes recordings. We said, where in the world did he get those licks and that thought? LSD helped psychedelic music, I'm out, I'm spaced out, and they did some phenomenal things in the 60s and the drug culture in producing musicians that can play while they were high. They stayed high. And you couldn't enjoy the concert without getting high. And you who went, no. It just helped to get you in the mood, honey. It helped get you that upper leap, but you didn't know that you were going to crash with the leap. Boom. But you're trying to get up there. Food, sex, drugs, alcohol. Get me out. Get me up. And so Perkingard says, don't count on anything. Your past or future, it's right now. Make this leap, and we hope you get it. And you, Did you get it? Did you have the experience? Well, I experienced something. I'm bouncing off of walls. I'm in J Ward. And, and, uh, 
I've become a heroin addict and living in uh, abandoned buildings in Detroit, New York, Chicago, and San Francisco. I, I tried to get up there. I never knew it would leave me like this. But I did the leap and crashed. Man wants to get above it all, and he doesn't hardly know how. Then you have people who think of faith as faith in faith is what saves. If you believe it hard enough, just believe. Have you ever heard people, just believe? Believe what? Oh, I don't know. Just believe in belief. Believe in belief. Faith in faith. Well, wait, wait, well, uh, do you believe you can fly? Well, I hadn't thought of that. You mean if you believe it's strong enough? Come with me. It's like my brother David one time. I called him, and I said I was going through a great trial, and, and I said I was looking for a bridge to jump off of. His counsel was find a short bridge <laughs> in case, you know, it won't hurt too bad. I thought it was really comforting, a real word of wisdom. <laughs> Go ahead and leap, but just get a short one. Faith in faith. I, I, don't be jumping off anything on faith in faith. Faith in faith will not overcome gravity. It won't. So you, you get a lot of positive teaching, positive thinking, a mind over matter, motivational speech. If you just got faith in yourself, well, that's why I'm a wreck. I, I've been trusting myself too long. According to Proverbs, the fool trusts only in his heart. The fool doesn't trust God. He only trusts himself. He's a fool. And you get a man or woman so full of their own opinion and themselves, they don't trust anybody but their heart. They're trusting a deceptive mechanism that will make a fool out of them. If you're trusting your heart, you're a fool. That's what the Bible said. Proverbs 29. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceptive, full of wickedness. Don't trust your heart. Well, I sort of feel they don't like me. Well, who told you that? My heart. And my heart's never misled me. Oh, what marriage are you on? No, your heart is a liar. It will lie to you. It will tell you, leave that marriage, take your life. Don't listen to your heart. It's a deceptive mechanism. Then you've got this idea of, uh, I don't trust anyone. You ask people, uh, because, you know, Faith is, I trust you. And the 60s had a little model that went this way. Don't trust anyone. And guess what? The youth culture of our day, they don't trust anyone. That's why they don't want to get married. Why make a promise you know you're not going to keep? Or why make a promise to someone that you don't believe they'll keep it? Because uh, I want to remain a player. I want you to be there when I get home, but let's be free to play. What? You, you mean you don't want just a monogamous relationship? Oh, no, you're going you're gonna to hurt me eventually. You're going to disappoint me eventually. Well, well what does that mean? Well, I'm going to disappoint you, and I might beat you to it, but I'm not going to trust you, but I will sleep with you. But you don't trust me. No, I've been hurt before. So, we have a culture of distrust. Nobody trusts each other. 
or you, you put your money in with this person, they lost it. Or this person talked about you. Uh, I had a man one time, uh, we were talking, and I, I said to him, I said, you don't seem to trust anyone. He said, no, I believe in depravity. I said, well, remember, you're just as depraved as me. Goes both ways. I don't trust you. You don't trust me. Let's have fun. Lying to each other. You don't have a monopoly on being bad, nor do you have a monopoly on being good. We're all wrecks apart from the grace of God. We're all depraved. We're all capable of lying, deceiving, disappointing. That's the human dilemma. Who are you going to trust? And some have decided, I'll trust no one. And what a miserable life that is. What a miserable life. Then the biblical concept. What's the biblical concept? The biblical concept is twofold. Twofold. He says to the disciples, O ye of little faith. Right? Have faith. What is that talking about? That's a subjective attitude in you. Why didn't he do many miracles in that town? He said, because they had no faith. No faith. Uh, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and it would be done, right? Faith. Unbelievers have no faith in God. They have faith in air pilots. They obviously buy tickets. You know, think about that. I don't trust anyone. Well, why did you buy that ticket to Hawaii? Because you trust the pilot? You know, they, a lot of them are using while they're flying. This might just be the flight where LSD takes over the controls. You're forced to trust people you don't want to trust. Are you not? I don't ask, are you a Christian? I ask, do you know how to fly? A lot of Christians don't know how to fly. So there's some folks I trust more than Christians. You don't need to be born again to know how to fly. You're not following me. When I want brain surgery, I, I know you love Jesus, and you're looking for the fruit of the Spirit. Get out of my way. I want a, probably a good Jewish boy that's a doctor. And I don't care if he's Rabbi Schlumbacher. Do you? Did you pass medical school? What's your credentials? Little faith. Subjective. I'm called upon to have faith. But, but biblical faith is this way. It tells you the object to trust in. Faith must have the right object. Your faith is no better than the object you're trusting. And it would be content because Jude says, God has revealed the faith. Contend for the faith. That's objective, what God's revealed about himself. There it is. Now, I may have little faith. I may have big faith. I may have medium-sized faith. But if I have the right object for my faith, that cannot fail me with little or much faith. I often say little faith in a strong bridge you can still get across. Huh? Did you ever wonder if the Bay Bridge would hold you in the olden days? 
I know my sister Ruth and I ride in the back seat when we were going to the Bay Bridge. As a kid, I said, what if it starts caving in, caving in, caving? and then I would just dive down in between the seats in the back? No. It held. Because the size of my faith didn't determine the ability of the bridge. Now, God has revealed himself. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book, and he called God is there, and he is not silent. When we talk about God, you say, well, who is your God? You're just making it up. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, you see, this is a record of his revelation of himself. It's been revealed in history. Old Testament, Israel was the guardians of it. The Red Sea, the defeat of the Babylonians, history happened just like he said, the prophets, on and on. God has revealed himself, said he's infinite, that he's eternal, that he's all-powerful. He's rescued Israel from one enemy after another. He did this, he did that. Wait, that's all fantasy. No, no, that's what he revealed. See, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Benjamin Warfield said that, Princetonian Greek scholar. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. We're people of a book because this is the revelation God gave of himself. His greatest revelation was, in the beginning was one abiding with me who is the word. That is the exact representation of everything I want to say. And I sent him, and I wrapped him in flesh, verse 14 of John, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed him. He was full of grace and truth. We found out everything you can know about God through Jesus. Now, in Jesus' time, there were hundreds of false messiahs. How do we know Jesus isn't a phony and a fake? Well, John Five is a good place to start. He said, anything the Father can do, I can do. Try that, false messiahs. Now, the beast in Revelation 13 tries that. He said he was wounded unto death, but he revived. So he pawns off on the world. I came back from the dead. And the earth will wonder after the beast in Revelation 13, the Antichrist of the last days. But Christ comes along and says, hey, if the Father judges, I can judge. If the Father can raise the dead, so can I. Follow me around. I raise up dead people. I tell demons and they scat. I have to tell them to shut up about who I am because they want to tell the whole neighborhood, you're dealing with God. This is not a false Messiah. This is really God. He said, be quiet. I'm not allowing you even to speak. You're going to get me killed before the cross. Shut up. I don't need you rebel angels telling everybody who I am. My works will testify that I've come to represent the Father, to do his works. I'm no false Messiah. That's why you need to read the gospel. I claim to be Messiah. Line up all your Messiahs. Line them up. Turn water to wine. Raise the nit widow of Nain's son. Let a leper touch you and get well. Walk on the waters of Galilee. Feed thousands of people with a loaf and a few fish. Go ahead. Emulate me. Go ahead, Muhammad. Try it. 
Go ahead, Buddha. Try it. Try all you pagan philosophers. You can't duplicate what I did. It's on record. I gave you a record. This is who I am. This is the one I'm telling you to put your faith in, not mist, not fog, not I, I, I'll create my own God. And you know what? Here's idolatry. Watch this in idolatry. We, we get out a log. Read Isaiah 40, Isaiah 43, and we chop it, chop it, and get this. We take this part of the log. It's kind of winter months. Let's build a fire. Oh, it feels good. Let's take the other part of the tree and carve the God. We're going to say created everything. Uh, please give us rain. Uh, give us fertility. Give us children, animals. And Isaiah said, why don't you talk to it? Hey, hey, you, you, shoo, shoo. Let's take Elijah and the prophets of Baal. They said, we'll pray. They said, you need to pray more. Go ahead, pray. It may really pay off. All day, they danced on the fire. They cut themselves. They screamed. And then Elijah steps up. He said, start pouring water on the wood. What? Yeah, pour water. Would you fill it? They put so much water, it ran in all the gutters around it. Oh, you don't have a chance. Watch. I serve the God that answers by fire. God, show them who you are. <laughs> and kills 400 prophets of Baal besides a barbecue. I mean, like that. Over here, Isaiah said, you got a God that can't see, a God that can't hear. Isaiah 46 says, your God can't even walk. You've got to carry him around, Baal and Marduk. What are you carrying your gods? Well, Israel, when was the last time you carried me? I carried you on eagle's wings out of Egypt. I flew you out on my wings. My people don't carry me. I'm a burden-bearing God. I'm not a burden. He said in Isaiah 1, you have wearied me with all your sacrifices. You've wearied me with all your holy days. He said, you give all the God sacrifices, and the only thing you give me is your sins. I've carried you all day. So we got over here, please, please, Marduk, Please, Osiris, the god of Egypt. Osiris, kind of a humorous thing. It was believed in Egyptian mythology that the blood veins of Osiris was the Nile River. God said, you think it's blood. We go out and get a drink from the Nile. Turn to blood. Ten gods fell in the ten plagues. Each one of those plagues represented another god of Egypt. And God said, there's going to be a battle between the gods of Egypt and the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you watch, I'm going to give you all the flies you can stand, all the frogs you can sleep with, and all the blood you can drink. I'm the god that's going to part a Red Sea, and I'm going to show you the gods of Egypt cannot stand up to me. I want the nations to know who I am. This is the God we put our faith in, not a mythological made-up God. We've got records. We've
We've got records. We've got records. We've got prophets. We've got miracles on record. That's why the devil doesn't want you to study this Bible. He doesn't want you to know it. This is the record of God about his own conduct. He's revealed himself. Don't be trying to get dreams and visions. What would you do with them? Television is all you can stand. You need this. This is the word of God. Well, I, I just don't get around to it. It's no wonder you're full of doubt and fear. Your empty heart is full of emptiness. And when you don't have time to hear him, it's like saying, I don't have time to look at her picture anymore. You know when I first got that high school picture when we got to going together? I looked at it three times a day. I said, man, I can't wait till we get married. Now I can't even find it. <laughs> Where is it? Maybe it's faded love. I don't know. But uh, some country boy made some money off of that. Do you ever look in God's photograph book? Got any pictures of it? Now, now let me, uh, uh, Cav, come in and help me. Uh, you look like an atheist. Come here. You're my atheist right now, but you got a Ph.D. in molecular chemistry astrophysics. That's a sit down, son. Okay? We're both in this room. I want to ask you, what chair are you sitting in when you look out? If you're, in, if you're this brilliant scientist over here, let's say we're both in a room. All the curtains are drawn. And we've got to stay there for a week. They slip food underneath the door. I have to, happen to be just a normal bumpkin kind of guy. But I believe the Bible. I believe Christ is my Savior. And all I really got to go on is Scripture. You know, fundamentalist, literalist, right-wing, Appalachian mentality, just good enough to dig coal. But this guy is brilliant. He's gone to Cambridge, Harvard, Oxford, and and joined Scientology. You know, he 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 he's he's brilliant. This guy's out there. And, and we take a week since he knows how to use microscopes. How, knows how to diagnose and break down things to chemical makeup. And we're in this room for a week. He breaks down everything in it. He examines. He tells me what the curtains are made of. He's got formulas for everything. This and that. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. He starts rattling off to me. It's made up of, let's say, you know, H956-39X. Woo, that's brilliant. I don't know what it means, but that's marvelous. <laughs> Wow, what a formula. What a mathematician you are. You got every angle in this room figured out. You've written books on this room. And after a week, he publishes, this is all there is. And on the seventh day, I simply say, well, wait there, PhD. <laughs> Pull back the curtains, and the moon happens to be out. 
You'd never seen that because the curtains were closed. And then we wait there till the morning. The sun comes out. He said, where did that come from? I said, you mean it wasn't in the room? No, it wasn't. Look at all these planets out here. You don't even know. Those are stars. You didn't know that wasn't in your study, was it? No, because it wasn't in the room. It wasn't in the room. You could just write about what's in the room, okay? And you, I'm impressed. I don't know what's in the room. I'd say curtain, wood, floors, and, you know, uh, and you. And I, I can't even break down your chemical makeup. In it. I, I'm just kind of a dummy about this stuff. But I know that's the moon. And we call that the sun. And, and there's that. Wow. You see, he's in the first story. And in the first story, you can even see stars, moon, and sun, and be brilliant. Oh, my, these math. But I mean, it's uh, to get us to the moon. You figure we've not got, have we made it to any other planet? Have we made it to Mars? Huh? Not with people. Okay. I mean, there's quite a bit out there we've never got to yet. And it's fascinating. But in this seat of naturalism, he's in the seat, everything's just measurable. And, and you see, there's three heavens in the Bible. Did you know that, Prof? No, you don't. You're supposed to say no. Nope. <laughs> well, see, there, there's two heavens you can see. The first ones we call the atmosphere. You see it by day. That's the atmosphere. The second heaven is the stratosphere. You see it at night. Stars, moon. The third heaven is where God's throne is, and you can only see it by faith. And I'm a people of faith. I believe what God's re He said there's a third heaven, and he's sitting above the earth, the circular of it. And so I said, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, go out and get the morning paper in not Dothan. Go out and get it, boy. He goes out, comes back, says, wow, we're surrounded by the Syrian army. They're getting ready to kill us. It's curtains. Elijah wakes up. The boy's a wreck. He's giving him volume. And he says, come with me, son. And he goes out and he says, Lord, touch his eyes. And all of a sudden, he says, wait, wait. The hills are full of the chariots of God. They're full of angelic beings. Did you see that the first time? No, no I, I'm sitting in the chair of naturalism. You can't see the unseen world. And then you come out here, man of faces. He comes back in the tent and said, son, it's okay. We got them outnumbered. <laughs> All the armies of heaven are lined up, and they eliminate Syria in a day. <laughs> yeah. One man, one man could put to flight a thousand. And, and, and then, just like, let's pick on it some more. You get the disciples in Mark 4. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They're afraid. The storm comes up. And all of a sudden, 
might have been Peter or James said, I see a ghost. Have you ever seen what you called a ghost was really Jesus? And Jesus shows up, hey, dummies, it's not a ghost, it's me. It's me. I walk on water. What's a ghost going to do for you? I think. Then go to chapter 6 of Mark. He's just fed 5,000. He just fed 4,000, if you read chapter 4 and 5. And now he's in the boat with the men. And guess what? They get into a little scuffle. And you know what they fuss about? Get this. Get this. They're worried to death that they have no bread on board. <laughs> we don't have any bread. You dummies, you're traveling with the bread maker. Designed the plant to make it grow. You decide, that's why I couldn't let him get down. You're taking over the sermon. You got it. Thank you, naturalist. Uh, and, and here we are, people of faith. Well, well, I can't see the bread. I can't see the money. I can't see this. And he's going to say in chapter 11, 1, you know, faith lets you count as substance things you can't even see. For by faith, we understand the world was made by the Word of God. By faith. See, if you got a God our size, there's no problem believing He made something that big. Tell me what makes the most sense to you. The chair of the naturalist, which if you go and get a degree in science at Cal or any of our secular schools, are going to say, and I hope I'm fair, I want to try my best to be, that creation, matter, what we have today, what we can see and test, is the product of, uh, let's see, time plus space plus chance plus an impersonal beginning. Is that fair? There's no one back there. No one's back there. And a good, trained, educated mind knows that's, that's the truth because we've got empirical scientific proof nobody was back there. I'm sorry, honey, Kodak wasn't around that many billion years ago. Your imagination was back there, but not empirical observable facts. Okay? Now you come over here us fundamentalists who are crazy enough to believe that the first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis, God spoke and did not stutter. He said, in the beginning, God created. And you said, that can't be. Uh, that is a Jewish myth made up to counteract other pagan theories of origins. That is simply a Jewish bias, and they wrote it in their Jewish Bible, and it's a Jewish made-up myth and genealogy. Well, if you don't understand it, God knew you'd need more information, so he tells you what he did on each day. The first day, I did this. The second day, I did that. The third day, the fourth day, Fifth day, I made a gorilla, and on the sixth day, I made you. <laughs> that, that, that is, in this view, 
There's no personal beginning. You've got to have a gorilla in there somewhere. That's our ancestry. Come on, come on. Be scientific. Quit being Bible thumpers. Quit acting stupid here. Be scientific. I've got to have them on the fifth day because I show up on the sixth. I said, no, 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 no gorilla on the fifth day. Fifth day is exactly what he wants. He makes man in his own image. Now, this is why prejudice, chauvinism, racism, anything that devalues any part of humanity made in the image of God is great sin. You, you mean the man's color will determine how you give him worth? A gender of a person will determine how you treat him? She's a woman. We dare not pay her well. Total prejudice, total chauvinism. It's wrong. It violates the image we're made in. You may think they're ugly and worthless, don't mess with the Creator's humanity. His mark is all over human beings. We are set apart. So, we ask, are you walking moment by moment by faith now in God's Word and God's plan? I want to close with this, that uh, in Romans 6, he says, as we used to offer our members unto unrighteousness that led to sin, we should begin by faith, yielding ourselves to Christ. And Romans 7 says something beautiful. Romans 7 says that Christ is the bridegroom of the church, and we are the bride. And he says, we were made his bride so that he could bear his fruit through us. Now, now remember, this fruit here happens to be offspring, not grapes like John 15, the branches and the vine. This is, as I yield my life to Christ, my heavenly bridegroom, and as his bride, he bears his children through me. And the only thing I've got to do is be walking by faith and keep making myself available to Christ by faith. And you know what the miracle is? As you keep by faith offering God your body, I'm in the arms of my bridegroom. I'm here to bear your children. I'm here to be intimate with you and to bear your likeness in a fallen world. We become like Mary when the angel came down to her and said, Mary, the Son of God is going to be born out of your womb. And he said, what seems impossible with man will be possible with me. Amen. Now watch this beautiful truth. God asked her permission for, I'm not trying to be vulgar, he wouldn't rape her. You remember what she said? I am your servant. Do what you will. My body's yours, even my womb. Whatever you want to do with me, Lord, is all right with me, your Lord. And then God does something 
in this active, passive relation. Look, she actively gives God permission. My body is yours to do whatever you want. Guess what? She didn't have the power to get pregnant. She's a young Jewish virgin girl. But said, you said, you said this is what you do. You've got to provide the power. I just provide the body. This is called active, passive cooperation. Here, Lord, you said you'd bear your fruit through me. You got me. You're, you're the power. I don't know how to bear a baby and remain a virgin. But that's all up to you. You made the promise. You said, that, you know what? And you don't know how God could take the kind of life you've lived and where you've been and how low down and how far you were that God now wants to bear his fruit through your body. You're his bride. He's waiting you to have the walk of faith. It says, moment by moment, take me, use me. My life is not my own. I yield to my heavenly bridegroom. Bear your fruit through me. Are you bearing fruit or have you become barren? Are you walking by faith? I cannot tell you how many believers, the last time they believed God was when they got saved. They haven't hardly lived by faith since. It's been doubt all the way. Doubt, 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 doubt. Can you, can you, worry, worry. When will you believe him? My righteous ones live by faith. That's what we ought to be known for. Believing him for the future, which is called hope. Believing him for the now. That's yielding my life to his impossible to describe power. I just do the yielding he does the enabling. This, this is the word of God. Father, I pray we will become a fruitful bride, that we will be people that act in faith, live in faith, ask in faith, that we walk by faith, not by sight, that we do not uh, keep counting the size of the giants, but keep relying on our God. I don't care what ISIS is doing. I don't care how, what a botched job the politicians are doing. I'm not, Father, if I looked at the waves, I would say I only see ghosts out there. But help us by the eye of faith see the master of the sea and the master of us. You still want to do great things in these days. You're looking to see, is your body available for my power? I'll do the miracle. I'm seeking your permission. Will you yield your members? As you yielded them to sin, unto unrighteousness, yield them unto me, unto righteousness. Please, Father, take and use us. Manifest Christ to this lost, lost culture. May they see Christ in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.